Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 god is right on time now imagine the scene just for a moment and in matthew chapter 24 it's a controversial passage and, and bible scholars they can't agree i mean it's like almost split down the middle 50 50 what this is referring to Right, And so I'm going to give you both options because I'm not, again, I'm not so prideful as to say I have the exact answer, right? But there in the text in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says that in that day, two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. And then he says, two women will be grinding at the mill, preparing the meals, right? Grinding at the mill. Two women will be there. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, you do not know the hour the Lord will come. You need to be ready. Okay? Now, again, if this is a picture, and I want this to really soak in, I want this to pierce your hearts, I want this to grieve you, I want you to be broken over this when we hear this. It has to be heavy. All right, some people discuss this and they say, well, those that are taken, because in context he's talking about Noah and the ark, those that are taken are taken into judgment. The other half say, no, those that are taken, they're not taken into judgment. Those that are taken are taken into the presence of God. And I can't tell you exactly for sure what it is. I lean toward, more towards those being taken, being taken into the presence of God. And let me tell you why. Because those words in the original Greek, when it says two will be in the field, one taken, the other left, that word taken is paralambano in the Greek. It's the exact same word that Jesus uses in John 14 when he says, I will come again and take you with me. Same exact word. It's the same exact word when the angel speaks to Joseph and says to Joseph, Joseph, I don't want you to be afraid. You can take Mary as your wife. It's the same exact word that is used on the Mount of Transfiguration when Peter, James, and John, the scripture says that Jesus took them up to the mountain, paralambano, took them up to the mountain. Again, now I lean that direction, but I can't dogmatically say that that is for sure the correct interpretation of that scripture. But this I can say is that's what it will be like at the rapture. Two people will be going about their normal everyday business and routine. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women going about their daily routine, taking care of their children, making dinner, preparing dinner. One will be taken, the other will be left. And think about this just for a moment, how, how just terrifying this would be if your children are there in the home with you and you haven't preached the gospel to them and they do not know Christ and you are taken and they are left. Think about how horrible this will be all across the world 
right? When a husband is taken and the wife is left, or the wife is taken and the husband is left. Business as usual, but God calls his church home. It's time for God's wrath to be poured out, so he delivers those who are his from the wrath that is to come. Now, if that doesn't cause you, if that doesn't stir in your heart, I can tell you, my, my children are up here helping lead worship many weeks, right? But at our dinner table, we talk about these things and we talk about the gospel because I have a great fear that they would not be saved. And I want to make sure that when Jesus comes to take his bride, to take the church, that they're going with me. That is your responsibility as a parent to prepare your children for the day the Lord comes calling. And many of you have failed. Two will be in the field, one taken, the other left. Two will be grinding at the mill, one taken, the other left. This is coming. The day is close. We're entering that 7,000th year. We're, we're right there. The generation is about to expire. We're right there. We're asking the wrong question, not how long. It is at the doorsteps. Read on with me. Look at what it says. And this is so good about God because we see God is eternal. But secondly, we want to write down this. We see that God is patient. And I'm so thankful for the patience of the Lord. I don't know about you. I'm so thankful that God not only gives one chance, but he gives two chances and three chances. I'm so thankful that Jesus was asked by Peter, how many times should I forgive my, my enemy or my brother when he sins against me? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, you forgive them 70 times seven. And it was a Hebrew idiom basically to say, you can't count the amount of times that you need to forgive. That's the kind of patience that the Lord has with you and with me. Right? You know how patient God is? He allowed Noah to build an ark, and Bible scholars believe it took between 55 and 75 years to build the ark. And for 75, let's say 75 years, Noah's preaching righteousness. He's peach, preaching, you need to repent. You need to get right. You need to flee from the wrath of God that is to come. For 75 years, he gave people the opportunity to repent, but they refused. You want to know how patient God is? He's approached by Abraham, and Abraham says, I know that you're about ready to destroy Sodom, but what if there are 50 righteous in the city? Would you still destroy him? No. God says, I wouldn't. If there are 50 righteous, I wouldn't destroy the city. Well, how about 45? Abraham says, no, I, I wouldn't destroy it if there were 45 righteous. Well, how about 40? No, I wouldn't. How about 30? No, I wouldn't. How about 20? No, I wouldn't. How about 10? No, I wouldn't. I would not destroy it for that amount. I would not pour out my wrath. If there were 10 righteous people there, I would not begin to pour out my wrath. Again, this I, I find this as a proof for a pre-tribulational rapture. God says, I'm not going to start to pour out my wrath until my people are safe in the ark. Until I want to pour out my wrath until the people have escaped the city of Sodom. The righteous have escaped the city of Sodom. Then I will pour out my wrath. Right? So here's this amazing truth, right? God is patient. This is what the scripture says. It says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. What is restraining the, the Antichrist? What is restraining evil and wickedness? Now, th this word patient can be translated restraint. They're able to show restraint. 
And so now Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, listen, you know what is restraining evil, what is holding back and keeping back evil. He goes on, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, and he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way, and then the lawless one will come and be revealed. So what is this restrainer? What is it that restrains evil or keeps evil at bay? It's God's spirit in God's people. And when the rapture takes place and God's spirit is no longer in God's people, then he will pour out his wrath. Then evil will come. Now, think about this just for a moment. Because this scripture is telling us that evil is being held back and wickedness is being held back until the spirit is removed. Can you imagine? Just think about that. Think about how wicked things are. And this is with restraint. What will it look like when the spirit is removed and evil has its way? I don't want to be around to experience that, right? So listen, the, the, God is patient. Listen to what it says. It says that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God, the, his, his word says this in Ezekiel chapter 18. It says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, uh, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live. I don't take pleasure in the death of the wicked. I want them to turn from their wickedness to me. He, again, Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 32. For I, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. Repent and live. I don't want you to die in your sin. Turn from it and be saved. Ezekiel chapter 33. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die? Why suffer in your sin? Why suffer in your idolatry? He's speaking to the children of Israel. Why continue down that path? Just turn away from it, and I'm ready to receive you into my arms. I'm ready to forgive. Scripture says this in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Speaking of God, it says, He desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. When Jesus was speaking to the church of Thyatira in Revelation chapter 2, they were a church that was caught up in, in sexual idolatry. And he says to this, this to them, he says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent. God is not slow concerning his promise, as some count slow, slowness, this verse says, but is patient toward us, not willing that any of us should perish, but that all of us should come to repentance. God doesn't want anyone to die in their sin. He wants to liberate you from that sin. He wants to free you from that sin, release you from that bondage, but you've got to come to him, right? You've got to come to him. Right now, this scripture just jumps off the page at me. Because Jesus is pleading with the church in Thyatira, and he's saying, listen, I'm giving you time to repent, but you've refused. Right now, this morning, God is giving you time to turn from your sin so that you can be saved, the wrath that is to come. The frustration that Jesus has is he says, I gave them time, and they refused. We don't have to stop our service. We don't have to bow our heads or close our eyes. Right there where you're at, you can take this moment and this opportunity and you can say, God, I need you to save me from my sin, to set me free from this sin. I don't want to be involved in this addiction any longer. I'm tired of this lust. I'm tired of lying. I'm tired of my anger or my bitterness. I'm tired of my fear. God, I confess these things to you. I'm turning from those things so that I might find life. You can do that in your heart of hearts right now, even as we speak. Why? Because God is patient with you. 
and because his love suffers long. Because he is a kind and gracious God. The scripture says it's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. Right? That scripture says, I don't want anyone to perish, but I want everyone to reach repentance. The word means to turn away from your sin. When, G- or when John the Baptist saw the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees coming out to be baptized, as he was baptizing in the Jordan, he warns them. He says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the la- wrath to come? He says, you need to repent and bear fruit that is worthy of repentance. Don't bother turning from your old life if you're not really going to change that means. Don't play a part. Don't go through emotion. Don't sit in a pew and listen to a Bible study. Don't get your head dunked underwater. Don't take communion. Don't give a little bit of money in the offering. Don't do those things if you're not really going to change. Your life needs to bear fruit that is worthy of repentance. There needs to be something that is shown from your repentance. Their lifestyle has to change. People have to look at you and say there's something different. You're not the same as you used to be. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Praise God. You can clap for that. I don't mind. My, my fear with the church is that we do not actually model a true biblical picture of what repentance looks like. Because first off, again, repentance will lead to fruit. The world will see something different in us. And I don't know that the world sees that. Not the way we argue about things. Not the way we hurl the same insults. Not the way we get caught up in the same flood of the things that the world gets caught up in. The world doesn't look at us and see something different. There is no fruit of repentance. But the second reason why I'm frustrated and why I fear for the church is because the, the, the biblical model of repentance, it's, it's like this. In Acts chapter 3, it says this. It says, repent therefore, turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, covered, cleansed, verse 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The the word refreshing, it means relief. It means to lift a burden off of someone. It means to be in a state of cheerfulness. That's what refreshing means. And I look around the church and I don't see a lot of people that look refreshed because of their forgiveness. I don't see a lot of people that look refreshed because they've repented and turned from their own life. I see a lot of people who are just as angry and just as bitter and just as caught up in the things of the world as the rest of the world is. And it's no wonder the church, or the church doesn't have the opportunity to bear fruit because we're not being different. We're not being the church. Bear fruits worthy of repentance and that repentance should make you feeling, uh, make you, leave you looking refreshed, encouraged, and in a state of cheerfulness. Man, that's what the Lord desires for his church. That's what I desire for the church. That's what I desire for my own life. So Peter says, first, God is eternal. Second, God is patient. Third thing about God here, God is just. Read what it says here with me. It says, but the day of the Lord, verse 10, but the day of the Lord, that's the tribulation that is coming Jacob's trouble it's called in the Old Testament that last seven years where God pours out and rains down his wrath on an unbelieving world that day of the Lord verse 10 will not or will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved in the earth and the works that are in it will be exposed now this we we have to treat this with the care that it deserves This has to be an eye-opener for you. This has to be one of those aha moments in your life where you start asking a different question. Instead of how long, O Lord, you have to start asking a different question because what this text says is, yes, God's, God's 
promise is still true. God's promise is still coming. He's going to come for his church, but on the heels of him coming for the church, there's going to come a great time of an outpouring of God's wrath, and that will culminate with everything that you see being dissolved in a fervent fire of fervent heat. Now, I have a picture here that, that, well, before we get to the picture, let me just explain to you that word heavenly bodies, those heavenly bodies being dissolved, that phrase heavenly bodies in the Greek, it refers to elementary principles or basic elements. It's the building blocks for matter. Everything that you see, that's what the word refers to. It's the building blocks for all physical matter. All physical matter is made up of atoms. I'm going to give you a little bit of a science lesson. And before we get into this, just let me explain this to you. I am not a scientist. I had to study hard to be able to share this with you, right? So, so look, at, look at this is a picture of an atom. That's just a crude picture of an atom, right? You have inside the, 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 the main part of the atom, the inside is called the nucleus. It's comprised of protons and neutrons. Protons are positively charged. Neutrons have no charge. Orbiting around that nucleus is the, the protons. Did I say that right? No, electrons. Electrons are rotating around the nucleus of the atom, okay? They're negatively charged, all right? So here's another picture of an atom. Pull up the second picture. Maybe it looks a little bit more clear. Is that the, is that the only picture we have? That's the picture that we have of the atom. So there you go. You're going to have to use your imagination, right? So nucleus on the inside, you've got the nucleus. You have the protons and the neutrons right there, right there in the nucleus, positively charged and neutral charges, and then the electrons are orbiting that. Okay. Now scientists for many years have been puzzled as to how these cells can maintain their stability. Because, why? Because there's a law called Columns Law of Electricity, and it states that, that when you have a like force, that like forces repel. Have you ever had two magnets, you know, those U-shaped magnets that we used to use as kids in school, and you try to put the positive end to the positive end and the negative end to the negative end, and they push away from each other. You know what I'm talking about? If you flip one of them around and you put the negative to the positive and the positive to the negative, then they attract, right? So Columns Law of Electricity states that when you have two positive forces, they want to repel from one another. But when you have two uh, opposite forces, that they attract to one another. Some of your marriages in the room, they kind of testify to that fact, right? So, so these opposite forces, they attract. Now here's what's interesting about the atom, the building blocks for all of matter, Okay, scientists for years have looked at the atom and have been puzzled what keeps those protons which are within the nucleus, which are positively charged, from wanting to reach out and to connect to the electrons which are outside orbiting, you know, they're kind of like in orbit around the nucleus. Why don't those protons either jump out of the nucleus and attach to the electrons, or why don't those electrons kind of invade the nucleus to attach to the protons? They're opposites. They should be attracting to one another. Are you with me? Okay, what keeps that from happening? How does that happen? Now, so the, Louis Giglio preached a sermon a while back, and again, I'm, I'm telling you I'm not a scientist, okay? So I don't have all this stuff figured out perfectly, and he, he put up a picture of this uh, this protein called laminin. So here's a picture of laminin. It's in the shape of a cross. And what scientists say is that this laminin is a cellular adhesion molecule. It helps to keep the cells together. And so what he says in, in his sermon is that, look, this laminin, this protein is in the shape of the cross. And, and God has left his fingerprint on the fact that he is holding all of matter together. Are you following me? 
He's really the shape of the cross. He's what's keeping those protons from coming out of the nucleus or those electrons from invading the nucleus. He's the one who's doing it. God is the one who is doing this, right? Now, this is what the scripture says. Look at Colossians chapter 1 says this. It says, for by him, God, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. In God, all things are held together. He's the one who holds it all together. Now, today, scientists, they, they say, let me read to you, there, there's a force known as strong force, and I had to write this down because, again, this stuff is above my head, so don't think I'm some sort of genius because I am not. But let me read to you what strong force is. Strong force is a nuclear force, one of the four fundamental forces that is found in nature. Strong force. The other three are gravity, electromagnetism, and weak force. As its name implies, strong force is the strongest force of the four. It is responsible for binding together the fundamental particles of matter to form larger particles. So this strong force, this nuclear force, one of four that exists in nature, is responsible for holding all of our atoms together, holding it all together. This scripture right here that we're reading in 2 Peter chapter 3 says that there's going to come a day. The day of the Lord will come when God pours out his wrath. That day of the Lord is coming when all of the elemental principles, all of the elementary principles, all of the basic elements, all of the building blocks of matter will be dissolved. That word dissolve means let go. It means released. It means to take your hands off of. That there's going to come a day when God judges the world where he says, okay, you know what? I'm finished holding everything together and he just lets go and everything dissolves. Burns up in a fervent heat. Now, to illustrate this, I want to show you what nuclear fission is. Now, nuclear fission is when, that, that's, what, that's what atom bombs co are comprised of. It's the energy that is released when you take one extra neutron and you blow a neutron into the nucleus of a cell, and that when that extra neutron invades that nucleus, that nucleus breaks apart, and it's like a pinball effect. It's like, it, let me show you what it's like. It, look at these uh, pool table. Bring up the, the pool table one. Okay, you, you hit it, and the force, and all of these particles, all of these neutrons are released. So it breaks apart the cell into two, and then all of these extra neutrons release, and they hit other cells, and those explode. And it releases such great energy and great power, right? That's what the atom bomb is comprised of. Man has figured out how to take and to cut a, a nucleus of an atom, releasing such force that an atomic bomb is the result. Look at the devastation from an, an atomic bomb. Many of you maybe have seen this, this mushroom cloud, when, again, one nucleus is invaded by an extra neutron, it explodes in a pinball effect. Those explode more and more and more and more and more. And the way that this is different, right, I'm not saying that, that, it's, that God is going to use a nuclear bomb in order to accomplish this. He doesn't need a nuclear bomb because he's holding it together to begin with. The moment he just takes his hands off of all of matter... All of those atoms, all of those nucleuses, all, everything just bursts. All of those neutrons go off and they chain reaction. Just everything will dissolve just in a moment, just like that, in a flash of light. Because God let go. Listen to what this scripture says, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. 
says he is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He holds everything together by the word of his power, and one day he will speak the word, and it will cease to exist. This is what the scripture says. Again, could we be asking the wrong question? Not how long, Lord. Maybe that's the wrong question to ask. So at this moment, when all matters dissolved, and he says that all of the works of the, 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 the world will be exposed. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 18 says that there's going to come a day where no creature is hidden from his sight, but we are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. One day you will have to stand before God, and you're going to be completely vulnerable, completely exposed, completely naked. He will see you for what you are. He'll know exactly what you've done. Have you ever been brought before your parents and, you know, you come in and you think that you're, you're sneaking into the house and they turn on the lights and there they are and you're, you're caught red-handed? You have no, nothing that you can say. There's nothing you can say. You're caught red-handed. This is what it will be like in that day. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977